Romans chapter 8, where we are today in verse 10 and verse 11, mostly verse 11. I owe you three pages. Last week uh, we got through most of the sermon, but the last three pages. And uh, so I owe those to you, and we're going to give you those this morning. And it was mostly spent in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Now, our topic we're on all the way through this is the security of the believer. You, in the Lord Jesus Christ, are quite secure. Sometimes we operate like we're not. And many times I think we think like we're not. Uh, And I think this is a good chapter for us to uh, just soak in, to understand it. Not just in our our minds, because I do aim at your mind with these things, but also in our hearts that we know these things. And they're essential to us. We've already been talking about the security we have in forgiveness. Now remember, forgiveness is not based on you or what you've done. Forgiveness is based on a cross. It's what Jesus Christ accomplished on that cross. You cannot add to that. You cannot take from that. And that's a beautiful thing to know. And when he says that there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, that little identifier, in Christ Jesus, is who you are as a believer. And it makes it very clear. No condemnation. I find security in that, don't you? Very important principle we started with. We found also there's security in our minds as well. Verse 5 through 8 has dealt with that. That uh, our minds, you know, they're, they're prone to go down the path that they're used to. We've been following the ways of the flesh before we ever knew Christ. The minds just, they like that, go, that route. And we've studied much on the mind, not only here, but in Galatians chapter 5, when we studied that. We dealt a lot with the mind. Then the mindset on the flesh, that's, that's a terrible thing. We've seen that. But the contrast is in verse number 6, that the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. That's a secure position. And that also is true for you who are in Christ Jesus. That's where our minds belong. And that's where we're going to find life and peace. And matter of fact, that's the only place you're ever going to be able to please God, by the way. Because it does say it very clearly at the end of verse number 8. Those in the flesh cannot please God. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. That's a whole different story for you. And I'm very glad for that. We've talked about that. Now we've moved into this third section, and we're talking about uh, our security in living. A lot of what we share with you is theology as we go through God's Word. We talk about our salvation. We talk about the pieces of salvation. We could talk about its past. We could talk about its future, its presence, and all these things. But we're putting what J. Vernon McGee used to call putting it where the rubber meets the road. We're talking about your life. Your life, the way you live, day by day, hour by hour, there is security in that too. And that's what we're started in verse number uh, 10 and verse number 11. And so the words read this way. If Christ is in you, oh, we've changed that word, didn't we? Since Christ is in you, who raised, or who, 
though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if, verse 11 says, the spirit of him, oh, let's change that, but since the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We've got work to do, so let's talk to the author first, all right? Heavenly Father, we come before you again with your word in front of us, needy as we always are, for you to teach us from this passage. Open up your word, Lord, that we may feast, that we may gain from it the nutrients we need for our life, for our soul, that we might be nourished, strengthened, made healthy in the way we live, that we might live the kind of lives that just follow your way and bring you much glory. This is an important time for us here, Lord. A very important time for us to be attentive to you and what you will teach us. So, do your great work, as you always do, and may we be mindful that you're at work in our midst and in our lives. We do give you the praise for that, Lord. We do give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, verse number 11, since the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that corresponds beautifully with verse number 10. Since Christ is in you. Those are our two principal points we're making in these two verses. And they are the basis of the security I am talking about in these words that are before us. We are secure in our living because Christ is living in us. And that's a very important principle to understand. Christ is in us. The Spirit is in us. Now, I'm going to take you to another passage just for starters here this morning. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Colossians 1, 27. These, these words, as, as Paul writes, to the, writes uh, he's talking about the mystery. A mystery that's been hidden for generation, but now made manifest. It's, it's always kind of fun when you're reading this uh, section here, and Paul does it here, he does it in Ephesians as well. He says, I want to talk to you about a mystery. And, you know, I don't know about you, but that kind of perks my uh, attention, certainly. Uh, I'm a big uh, fan of Perry Mason Mysteries, and I just love watching that show all the time, Perry Mason. You know, I had to solve it before they solved it for me. And uh, so, when I read the word mystery, I say, what is it? Well, here's the reality. It's not a mystery anymore. That's the whole point. For generations, this was a mystery because it was never revealed up until the time that these books were written, that the Lord made it very clear. And here's the primary thing. The Lord's work throughout the Old Testament, and, and for centuries, we're talking about thousands of years, he dealt with Israel. We know that. He, you read all the stories. You've got Abraham, you've got Moses, you've got David, you've got, you know, all the way through the thing, you read about Israel, 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 Israel. But if you go and look carefully, God designed Israel for a purpose. Their purpose was to be an example to the Gentiles of the mercies of the Lord. How well did they do? Uh, 
we can read their, their failures over and over again, and we can come away saying, wow, God is patient. Right? There's a lot of things we can learn. But when we get into the New Testament, something changed in the, the nature of the church, which was brand new. The Lord's building his church, and what he designed was not just Jews, but Gentiles can be saved and can be put in one body in Christ Jesus. That was astounding to the first century Jew. Oh, they were sure that God could save them, but a Gentile? <laughs> That's impossible. And they struggled with that. Read the first 15 chapters of the book of Acts. And they were always amazed when a Gentile came to know the Lord as Savior. And here, by the time the epistles are being written, that's the great mystery that Paul is declaring to them. That you, Gentiles, many of them receiving these letters were Gentiles, know Christ. Not only that, He's in you. What an astounding thought that was. And this is what he's saying. And I'll back up. I said verse 27. Verse 26. He says, That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations has now been manifested to his saints to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among you, the, among the Gentiles, which is what? Christ in you. And look at the next phrase. The hope of glory. This is not, oh, I hope so. Like, when you get to heaven, you just kind of, oh, I just made it. <laughs> That's not it at all. Hope is confident expectation. Do you have a confident expectation that the promises that the Lord has made to you in salvation are true? Did he not give you eternal life? Do you believe that he gave you eternal life? Do you believe that he has an inheritance for you? That you're going to enter into his glory and be with him forever and ever? That is your confident expectation. It's based on this one simple thing. Christ is in you. Christ is in you. If he's not in you, you don't have that hope. But because he is in you, you have that hope. Now, I'm building for the answer to this question, can we be secure in that? <laughs> Let me show you another passage, and I love this very much. It's back in John chapter number 10. John chapter 10, verse 27, 28, and 29. John 10, 27, 28, and 29. Sometimes I have to confess to you, when I'm reading the New Testament, I have a certain kind of glasses on, and it's not reading glasses and contact lenses and all the rest. It's I'm saturating myself with words that remind me of how great the salvation is that he's given to me. I love to go back and see again how he has done it and how secure it really is. I, I'm, I'm always on the adventure of finding more verses to prove the security we have in Christ. And here in John chapter 10, it's from his own mouth, Jesus said in verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. I like those words. And they follow me. Do you see any questions or maybes or perhaps in there? Next phrase. I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. 
Oh, I love those words. And here's one I, I add to this. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. If you're a doodler, some people are doodlers. They just have to draw all the time. I, I was like that in elementary school. Drove my teachers crazy. I drew, drew on everything. The desk, you name it. If it was there, I drew on it. My daughter is a doodler, too. You've seen her artistic work sometimes. Uh, she sits in class and doodles the whole time you're teaching. You say, is she listening at all? Well, her grades show she is. But she doodles and doodles and doodles. I've got a doodle for you this morning. If you're a doodler and you've got something to write this on, it's real simple. It, you don't have to take great, massive art classes to figure this out. You draw a stick figure. Can you do that much? That's real simple. You just draw a little stick figure. That's you. All right, so make it look good. Um, you've got this nice little stick figure. Underneath it, draw a hand. Just a simple hand, if, if you can do that. Just Maybe just a little stick with a cup on it or something. That's a hand. Let that represent the Lord Jesus Christ, as he said in verse number 28. No one is able to snatch them out of my hand. There you are, in his hand. You see the picture? Draw another hand on top of it. Verse number 29. My Father, who is greater than all... And then he goes on to say, no one's able to snatch them out of his hand either, right? Now, how secure does that feel suddenly? To be put between the two hands of the omnipotent one. No one can snatch you out of their hands. No one. I love those words. When I think of that, and I think of that Colossians 1.27 passage... Christ in you, the hope of glory. I, I bring those back here to Romans chapter 8, where he said in verse number 10, he said, Christ is in you, since Christ is in you. And we spent some time on that last week. But that's a powerful thing. That is not hopeful things in the future. That's a present tense statement. Right now, he is in you. He is in you. A lot of other passages say you're in him. Now, put that in your thinking. I don't even know how to draw that to tell the truth. You are in him and he is in you. Can you make that more secure? That's a pretty solid position to be in. And we talked about that last week. But I, I just bring it up to you again because you belong to him. Verse number 9 said so. It said it so clearly. Then I say it one more time. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. But take away the if not phrase. Since you do have the Spirit dwelling in you, verse 9 says, then you do belong to him. You belong to him. Not sort of, not maybe, not 50%, 75%, This is not temporary concept. Like today, yeah, okay, but tomorrow, that's a different story. He has not changed 
anything he has done for you. Is the cross weaker now than it was before? Is his salvation somehow a little shaky? Does it go up with the stock market? Right now you should feel pretty good. But what if it should crash? Is your salvation like that? You know, too often. I, I confess, maybe it's a reflection just of me. We let circumstances be our theology. We let events in our life be our theology. And we base our concept of God and his love for us on the kind of day we're going through. That's not secure, folks. <laughs> Turn it upside down, if you will. Flip it over, whatever you want to call it. Let God be God. Let his words be true. And we stand here, sometimes faithful, sometimes faithless. But nevertheless, we stand here as recipients of his love. That's Romans 8. That's the chapter we're studying. That's why I say to you, you're secure in these things. In your life right now, you're secure in these things. Christ is in you. And the second side of that, that's just review. Verse number 11. The spirit of him who dwells in you. He dwells in you. He's, he's made his house in you. That's where he lives. That's where he resides. That's his mailing address in you. Now, I think that's a powerful phrase. Because now you have, in just two verses, Christ in you and the Holy Spirit in you. They're both God. They're both omnipotent. And they're in you. <laughs> this has kind of... I don't know. I think we need to weigh warning signs. You know, whenever you're around heavy equipment or you're around uh, electrical boxes with an awful lot of power going through it, they put warning signs there so that, you know, you're careful. There's a lot of power there. I think Christians ought to wear warning signs. After all, God dwells in us, and he's at work in us. That's a powerful thing. And I'm going to show you how powerful with this verse number 11. What difference does it make if he lives in me? What difference does that make? Why, why is this so important, Pastor Bob? Well, number one, the living is going on right now. He lives in you right now. Present tense again, in you right now. He's dwelling in you right now. And tomorrow morning when you wake up, you read the same verse, and guess how long he's been dwelling in you then? Still right now. The tense continues in that. We call it the continuous tense when we deal with this in Greek grammar, because we're dealing with the reality that He is always dwelling in you. That was the promise of our Savior, wasn't it? I will send the Comforter, and He will be with you forever. He promised. He promised. Some people think, well, yeah, okay, until. Now, Jesus never said until. Now, there was a neat little verse, though, that Jesus did tell his disciples. He said, uh, go into all the world and preach the gospel, right? Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And as you go, remember, I am with you even unto the end of the age. All right, so reach that point. The end of the age. 
My kids, when they were real little, were memorizing that for Awana. And they said the wrong word there. They said, Lo, I'm with you even to the end of the edge. And sometimes that's exactly the way we think, don't we? I hit the edge and boom, he's out of here. No. He's with you. And the Holy Spirit is a promise to be with you. He's in you. He dwells in you. And that's every single day, believer. Every single minute, believer. He's in you. He's in you. He's in you. He's in you. Very important principle. And that will make a difference. Let's talk about the difference that it makes. What comes with these these realities? Well, in verse number 10, we dealt with this a little bit last week. Since Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, and we say, yeah, we know. But it's also a theological fact, too. We dealt with that from Romans 6. The body is dead because it's been crucified with Christ. And it's not I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. But this is what goes with that. The body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Righteousness. Yours? No. His righteousness. I I don't know if we can quite fathom this. I'm going to... Even trying to express it is difficult. I, I know the passage that I want to express. It's in Jude... And it's the last two verses of Jude. And if you want to go over there, verse 24 and 25. But this is the the thing that we, we need to express. Someday, we're going to stand before the throne of God. That's not a maybe. We're going to stand before the throne of God. Does that make you nervous? To think that through? It's like, uh uh-oh. There used to be a little track. It's still out there, by the way. Uh, called, This Was Your Life. You read it before? Scares you to death, doesn't it? Because you say, someday when I get to heaven, they're going to pop up the screen and turn on the projector and everyone's going to see. That's not, that's not true. That is not true, by the way. Uh, simply because if your sins have been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ, they've been cast away from God's presence. He does not remember them. Matter of fact, to bring them up and hold you accountable for them before the throne is to diminish the value of the cross. God will never dishonor his son's death. It's not based on you. (laughs) It's based on his promise to his son that if he gives his life, Isaiah 53, he will see the outcome of that. He will see the fruit. God will not dishonor his son by bringing up your sins in heaven. Awesome thought. But here's what goes with it. When you stand there before his throne, they're not going to see your unrighteousness either. They're going to see the righteousness of Christ. You are clothed in it. Do you know that? You are clothed in the righteousness of God. What Christ has accomplished, you wear it. And when you stand there, you realize it. But this is what it says in Jude 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. That's not to you, because I know you and I, we're not able. He is able. And to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless. 
Whoa! And with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Now, this is a statement here concerning what God sees in us. It is a blamelessness. I know we're here and we say, boy, I've got lots to be blamed for. But that's not your blamelessness that you wear. That's not your righteousness that you wear. Just as Romans 8 just said, uh, the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. That's not ours, that's His. That's the work He does. So be thankful He lives in you. Because He lives in you. It's His righteousness that the Lord sees. It's an awesome thing. That's another secure place you are. But add to this, and here's the power, I love this. Verse 11. But since the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Twice he said the same kind of a phrase. The spirit did what concerning Jesus? Look at it. What did he do? It said it twice. Raised him from the dead. Raised him from the dead. I, I, when I look at that, I think, what is more powerful in our Christian understanding of God's word than the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? Don't you get excited when you're even watching it dramatized? And that moment comes when Christ rises from the dead. You know how it Oh, it just wells up inside of you. You get excited. We sing songs, and we get to that verse, and we just can't help it. We've got to sing it louder. We, we sing, Lo, in the grave he lay, Jesus. And we sing that real soft and somber. But the chorus, Up from the grave he arose. We get excited about that. Why? There it is. The, the joy of it. Life. For one who has died. The, the whole thing of Scripture just comes... Crashing into our thinking. It's true. It's true. Jesus rose from the dead. Now, the Spirit, it says in this passage, is the one who brought him back from the dead. Alright? Now, think of that. Is there not power in that concept, just that alone? You say, well, that's pretty good. The Holy Spirit did that. He is God... And he's capable of that, is he not? But he did do it. And the statement is made for us that he brought Jesus back from the dead. Guess where he lives? In you. All right. So tell me he can't help you. Go ahead. Tell me that anything in your life is too big for him. You're struggling with something, maybe it's a habit, and you know you shouldn't do that, and you've been wrestled with it forever. Is that greater than the power of the Holy Spirit? You get discouraged about something, you see you're in a situation, and you just don't know it's ever going to change. You're, just, you're dependent on all these other pieces, and you know it. Who's greater? He is in you. 
I could talk about that in practical ways, but I just stop and reflect on this truth. He who raised Jesus from the dead is in you. He's in you. He's in you. And so, it goes on to say this, and she will give life to your mortal bodies. These things that, you know, are slowly falling apart. These things that we just read about are dead. Can he give life to that? Oh, yes, he proved it. He proved that. I've got two thoughts for you, just to, to think about as you Maybe they're just my two thoughts. Maybe you have others too. But when I read verse number 11, it says, He will give life. And I looked that up. That's future tense. He will give life to the mortal bodies. Now, I think he's talking about our resurrection. I think he's talking about that thing that we can't see on this side of life. We talk about an afterlife, right? We talk about the day that we die, we go to be with Christ in heaven. Is that true? Yes. And we say this body is going to be planted in the ground. Will it ever rise again? Yes. How do we know that? He just said so, didn't he? Yeah, I just heard the words. Because the Bible said so. That is true. He will give life to these mortal bodies. So I stop with that and I say, wow, that's a promise. That's a guarantee. That, that's concerning a, a coming change that we read of, where we're changed from mortal to immortal, where we're changed from perishable to imperishable. That is the promise of our inheritance and all the rest that goes with it. This is what it says in Ephesians 1. I'll read it to you because I want you to listen to it carefully. Ephesians 1, 10 through 14. We have a view to it, an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ Jesus. Things in the heaven and things on the earth. To him also we have obtained an inheritance, he says. Having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, in him you ought, oh, I'm sorry, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. Then he adds this, In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. Here it is. Your salvation is just as secure as him who dwells in you. If he moves out, you better start panicking. Because, by the way, he won't. I'm just saying it this way. Because your security is based on his dwelling in you. He is the seal. You see that? That's the guarantee that we're looking for. We're saying, okay, if he's in me, then all these promises of the future are true, are they not? That's very true. Because he dwells in us, and he's not leaving. So guess what? Neither is your salvation. Neither is your salvation. That's thought number one. I think of the future, and whether or not all these things are going to happen, and do I have all my eggs in one basket, and I'm in trouble. No. 
His word is as sure as the fact he lives in you. Second thing, second thought. We have a very unique viewpoint in this life. A lot of people do look into the future with uncertainty, don't they? They just don't know. They hope somehow it all works out. They just don't know. They don't know one thing even tomorrow might bring. They don't know. You, as a believer, have an entirely different view. We can look into the future and speak in terms of reality. We don't have to manufacture it. We believe it because it's the promise of God. I don't know how many times I've seen it where people are arguing theologically about the future and they come back to say that Christians have manufactured these things. That's not true. They're based on God's promises. But here's something that I think is so, so powerful. When people say, well, you're getting kind of cocky with your view of the future. Some people think we're absurd, absurd with that kind of an idea. But look at this. This is very important, and I'll show it to you right here. Look again at verse 11. Our future, that he will give life to our mortal bodies. Our future is anchored to an event in the past. Look again at verse 11. What is that event in verse 11 that all of this is anchored to? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Is that a fact? It is a fact. Jesus died and rose again. Your future is anchored to that. Not to the way you lived out last Tuesday. It's not anchored to your opinion of yourself or other people's opinions of you. It is anchored to the fact that Jesus died and rose again. How could he live in you if he was still dead? There's principle number one. But since the Spirit brought him back to life, and that's true, and our future is tied to that truth, it is as rock solid as you can make any statement. Here's a test you, you can try this, because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we'd really have nothing. Nothing we could talk about, no confidence we'd ever have in the future. If he didn't, if he didn't have a future, neither would we. But often I've noticed this in the scripture. When Paul goes to write about future events, and he wants to secure it in our thinking so that there's no question marks as to whether this is true or not. He anchors it to the death and resurrection of Christ. Just so you're sure. And this is what he did in Colossians, or 1 Corinthians 15. Remember we covered that years ago? 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to these words. I love them. Verse 12. But now Christ is preached. He has been raised from the dead. How do some among say you that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of dead... Even though Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith is also vain. Moreover, we're found to be false witnesses of God, because we testify against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. 
And if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you're still in your sins. How many things in that paragraph alone is based on the resurrection of Christ? Everything. And if we had hope in this life only, we are among all men most to be pitied. I skipped one verse on purpose, and I come back to it right now. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished if he never rose. What if he has risen? You're forgiven of your sins. You have hope. Your ministry is worthwhile. You have faith, and it's sure thing, and you have a future because Christ is risen. All the argument is based on Christ risen from the dead. And that's our future tied to that. That's our living tied to that. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the great passage on the uh, rapture of the church. Firm believer I am in the rapture of the church. And in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13, he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who have fallen asleep, that you not grieve as the rest who have no hope. But since we believe Jesus died and rose again, there it is, the anchor. What's he say? Even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. There it is. There it is. If you want to argue the future, you've got to go back and argue whether or not Jesus died and rose again. That's the basis of the secure life I'm talking about right now with you. Christ is in you, and the Spirit is in you, and the Spirit brought him back from the dead. And he's in you. Now, if you believe all those things, that those are true, that he did all these things, then let me ask you, is your life secure or not? Christ is in you. That's reality. The Spirit dwells in you. That's reality. The body is dead because of sin, but it's got a future. For he who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. Oh, I love the passage. You know, just stopping to think how magnificent it is that the Holy Spirit dwells in you. You know, He didn't move in to leave you the way you are. He's got a task. We're going to get into that later in this chapter especially. He's got a task. He is conforming you to the image of Christ. He's at work. An old saying I I learned years ago, and I said it so many times I know. But wherever the Spirit is at work, change is inevitable. He never fails. I read this one this past week by uh, Tozer, A.W. Tozer. You can be sure the Holy Spirit never enters a man and lets him live like the world. Hmm. He dwells in you. That's The three pages I wanted to share with you. Those three pages. They're powerful. They're necessary. Aren't they? Important words for us today. Let's go talk to the one who's done all this. Heavenly Father, we give you praise. We read in your word often of you get the honor and the glory and the praise and the worship. And yes, we know that's true. We want to add our words, our hearts to that 
chorus that has given you praise this morning. For what you have done, Lord, is astounding. What you have done in our lives, how you have changed us forever. You're at work, and you will not stop until we reflect Christ in every, every portion of our being. Someday we'll stand before your presence. Amazingly, we will stand there blameless, but we will also stand there with great joy. I think that there are some among us today who have a feel for that joy right now. Because they're resting in that secure thing that you have done. Life is worth the living just because he lives. Lord, thank you. Thank you. We praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen.